Would you pray with me? God, thank you. Thank you for your love, your unconditional love that is found in the grace of Jesus Christ. Lord, that you so loved the world that you became one of us, that you might bring us home to you again. And so, Lord, today, may we take serious the season of Lent, a season of preparation where we remember our own sin and mortality. We remember our own culpability in putting you on the cross. Help for us, Lord, to engage it and to take it seriously that we might truly understand the celebration and joy that Easter is. To that end, Lord, I pray that you would pour upon me the gift of preaching, that my very frail and broken and human words might, by the power of your Holy Spirit, become your living word, uniquely crafted for each and every one of our hearts. We pray this with great confidence, for we pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, today is the first Sunday in Lent, and the season of Lent, which includes the six weeks leading up to the celebration of Easter, as I prayed, it's a time for us to remember our own sin as part of the sin in the world that contributed to the need for Christ to come and die for our sins. As we spend time in such sober remembrance in Lent, it makes Easter morning all the more meaningful as we remember that God's unconditional love for us sets us free from our bondage to sin and death because of Jesus' death and resurrection. This, of course, demonstrates that like ours, God's story, too, is bittersweet. Because it's not only filled with sadness and death, but ultimately with joy and everlasting love and life. One might think that our Lenten reflection would come easily. For we see the evidence of sin and brokenness incessantly in our world. Yet, our culture does everything within its power to motivate us to deny anything that remotely looks like sin, mistakes, or failure in our lives. Did you see Alicia Keys perform with Usher during the Super Bowl halftime show? I read an intriguing article by Will McDavid about it. McDavid writes, Alicia Keys is a brilliant singer and songwriter, gave a characteristically great performance at the halftime show with just one false note, a voice crack in Some People Want It All. I'm sure this was a bittersweet moment for Alicia. The joy of singing for a worldwide audience and then the disappointment of her voice momentarily breaking for a vocal performance like her though this is part of life no one's voice is perfect every time yet as mcdavid notes her performance live was not enough he says this less interesting than the crack itself which is liable to occasionally happen to even the best vocalist was the reaction of the powers that be It was scrubbed out of the records, and the NFL's official YouTube video and Apple Music video of the show present a fictional version of the halftime show where keys hit the note perfectly. Let's pause and think about that. I really want us to pause and think about what our culture does without saying a word. They didn't announce they were doing this. They just do it. 
What does that say to Alicia Keys? What does that say to us? When culture behaves this way, and it, this is such a small... I mean, it's just everywhere all the time. When culture behaves this way, what is the impact on us? How does it impact our lives? How do you think this move by the NFL and Apple Music made Alicia feel? What kind of perfectionistic pressure does it, does it put on her? And then as we witness that whitewashing, how does it affect you and me? I believe that things like this in our culture have much more profound effect on us than we know. And I just want you to think about it. I want you to watch for it. I want you to be aware. When you read articles in the news, when you see things like this happen, pay attention. Whether it's announced or not, pay attention to what's happening in our culture. For everyone, and I mean everyone, makes mistakes. Did you know that? Everyone makes mistakes. No one is perfect except Jesus. But we don't have Jesus here physically with us, right? So no one living on the planet is perfect. We all sin. We all let people down. We all fail. Rather than pretending human error doesn't happen, the question is, what is the best way to respond when it happens? What we learned in the series on Bittersweet, Susan Cain's book, is that when we, when we embrace and acknowledge the pain and the mistakes in our life, it actually goes better for us. It actually makes us better when we deny the very opposite happens. The denial that our culture is in is hurting us. It doesn't only hurt us individually. Guess what? It hurts us in the way we're seeing the divisions play out in our culture. Because what happens when I no longer make mistakes or I'm able to convince myself of that, that I am striving for perfection, well, guess what that does? It just makes me much more easily judge you because I see your mistakes and, of course, I don't see mine. This is a big deal. And so do we embrace the world story or God's story when it comes to this? to mistakes, to failures. Because really, right, it is a part of our life. For Jesus' answer to the problem of sin and mistakes and failures is the polar opposite of what Apple Music and the NFL did. Instead of a big cover-up, it's all about admitting. What did we just do in the prayer that Katie led? We confessed. We acknowledge, right? It's all about honesty and vulnerability and transparency. Remember when I opened the service today and I talked about our brokenness. And I'm like, this is a place where we can be wide open about it. We can acknowledge it. We can make mistakes and learn from them. That's when growth happens. Growth doesn't happen from success generally. Growth usually happens from failure. And so when we fail, when we make mistakes, we can be honest in the Christian community, confess those things to God and to one another, and discover growth and healing in our life. And so it's about openly acknowledging that we are not perfect, nor can we be on our own, because in fact we are sinners in desperate need of a Savior. And the counterintuitive part of all this is Jesus' way is the way that leads to life and health and freedom. For it's as we integrate and accept rather than deny our frailties that we are mentally and spiritually better. 
Along these lines, our Lenten series this year is a follow-up to our winter series on Susan Cain's Bittersweet. We will be looking at how God's story is bittersweet. For Jesus' life and death and resurrection demonstrates that in coming in human form, God chose to fully experience the bittersweet nature of human life. In so doing, he chose to experience pain and suffering, sorrow, grief, and death. And what makes this so profound is God didn't have to. Can you imagine choosing to experience? I mean, if you, like, before you're born, somehow there's like a game show where you get to pick whether you have a life filled with pain and suffering or one that's only joy, which one would you pick? Right? I mean, it's a fairly easy decision, you would think. But God chose to experience pain and suffering and death. Jesus' moment in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he is crying out to God to ask him to take away the suffering that is to come, is one of the most heart-wrenching scenes in Scripture. And God had the power to avoid it. Yet, he did it. What this tells us is that in saving us from our sin, God is determined to fully experience the broken world he rescues us from. What an amazing thing when you think about that. This is our God. This is the God we worship today. This is the God we trust our lives to. This is the God that as we all proclaim together with the new members today, that Jesus is our Lord and Savior. The reason we should boldly proclaim that is because this is who that God is. This is the God who completely embraced the bittersweet in life because of his love for us. There is evidence of the bittersweet in life starting even before Jesus is born from Old Testament prophecies about Jesus' coming, like today's passage from Zechariah. And this is like a Palm Sunday image, is it not? Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king, he is coming to you, righteous and having salvation, is he? Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And so you have this Palm Sunday, you know, joyous imagery of God's coming, and then you have Isaiah, right? And in Isaiah 53, in a couple of different verses, he says, He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief, that he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And by his wounds, we are healed. Bitter sweet. It's obvious God foreknew the sorrow and the suffering that would be integral to his mission to save us. And then the bittersweet is there from the very beginning of Jesus. From the controversy of Mary being unmarried when she gets pregnant. And in that day, it was a lot worse than it is today. Right? The cultural pressure, she literally could have been stoned to death. To the great joy experienced by the wise men and the hope of the shepherds. To the ravenous Herod murdering children. We taste the bittersweet in God's story. 
And as we move through our Lenten series, we will zoom in on various bittersweet moments throughout Jesus' life and ministry in the coming weeks in order to comprehend how Jesus embraced his humanity and ultimately experienced not only joy and love, but by choice, he experienced pain and suffering and even death to free us from the bondage of sin. So what will studying the bittersweet in Jesus' life reveal to us? Surprisingly, we learn Even though Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords, we find that he is not someone who is aloof or distant. No, in his choosing to experience every facet of human life, bittersweet included, he truly knows what it means to be human. And more, since the cross, he now knows what it is to experience sin, suffering, brokenness, and even death. In other words, Jesus' life role models for us how to embrace and integrate in a healthy way the pain and sadness and sorrow in our lives. This is what Lent is all about. It's looking at our sin, acknowledging it, remembering that we too contributed to Jesus' need to come and die for sins. That we're culpable, that we're a part of that. For when, because of the forgiveness found in Jesus' grace, we embrace and confess our imperfections rather than denying them, and we make them our own by accepting the broken part of ourselves as part of ourselves, it empowers us to stand against this cultural denial that I'm talking about. It sets us free to live a life where we can be authentic and honest with ourselves and with one another. In our culture, the whole idea of meritocracy and that you can earn your salvation of sorts in this world, right? Everyone can be successful if they just try hard enough. That perfectionism is possible. You can have the perfect resume. You can have the perfect grades. You can have the perfect performance. You can make the perfect piece of art. If you're Alicia Keys, you have to sing the song perfect. That leads to bondage. And that's where our culture is right now. We are locked down in the bondage of perfectionism. And it's just killing us. And so I just want you to experience and think about this morning that as we sit in this room, in God's presence, worshiping God, that we do so in a place where we don't have to fight that battle. We can openly acknowledge, as we did in the prayer of confession, and hopefully as you can do now, that we are a broken, we are broken people in need of grace and forgiveness. We are not perfect. We will never be perfect. And guess what? It's okay. Man, if that isn't the good news of the gospel, I don't know what is. And so receive that today. Hear that today. This is why we've chosen our identity statement, which I was talking to you about earlier, to be so central in defining who we are at St. Andrews. We're a welcoming community of broken people, learning to be loved by Jesus so that we can love like Jesus. This Lent, may we embrace the bittersweet as we muster the courage to boldly acknowledge that we are broken people who desperately need a Savior. What is the source of such courage? 
the crucial knowledge that we are unconditionally loved and accepted in the grace of Jesus Christ. For it's as we accept the truth of our own brokenness in light of such love, as we accept the truth of our own brokenness in light of such love, that we begin to truly be able to love and accept others in their brokenness. What's happening right now that's creating the judgmentalism across the board, left to right, doesn't matter, is that we're not acknowledging our own brokenness. When we acknowledge our own sin and brokenness, it humbles us. And then we have empathy toward others who struggle and are not perfect. And so this is the thing that we have to learn to be loved by Jesus so that we can love like Jesus. That's a powerful, powerful thing. And so during this series, my hope is, as the Lenten story reminds us of the fact that God's passionate love for humanity is what motivated him to embrace such bittersweetness, such good news will embolden our faith and motivate us to engage in the Lenten practices that help us face our sinfulness and mortality as we look forward to the celebration of God's grace, love, and life on Easter morning. We should rejoice greatly, for our King is coming, righteous and full of salvation is He. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And so let's stand together. We're going to sing together this morning as a response. And I want to continue to encourage you to experiment. Stand up. Yeah. That was amazing. You guys in the back, great job. They were like up first. I know why you're sitting in the back. And that was awesome. You were, you were up first. Um, this is an opportunity for us to respond. But we've been singing the verses that we're going to sing are from a song called History. And it's very intimate language. It's about how God knows every part of us and the deep care he has. And as you're singing these song, these lyrics, sing them to God. God is present in the room. You're going to sing them to him. And the thing that's so amazing is the reason God can know us so intimately is because of Jesus. It's because of the story of Lent, right, that leads us toward Easter. And so let's respond to God this morning and sing out. Continue to experiment with worship and learn because ultimately what God wants from us is he wants us to step into his presence and to sing the words, not just generally like we're singing a song on the radio, but to sing these words to him, right? You're the God who doesn't look good. 